0: Hello, I'm Sarah Kapolak, and this is In the News from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, after the Ryanair flight hijacking, is the European Union's relationship with Belarus beyond repair? On Sunday, a Ryanair flight was forced to land in Belarus, where some of its passengers, including Belarusian journalist Roman Protasevich, got off. When the flight continued its journey to Lithuania a few hours later, Protisievich and his girlfriend were no longer on board. Dan McLaughlin is our correspondent in Eastern Europe. Dan, first of all, can you describe step by step what exactly happened on that Ryanair flight when it left Athens on Sunday?
1: So the flight took off as normal from Athens airport on Sunday morning. Um, and it flew for about two hours north, heading for Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania. As it was almost out of Belarusian airspace, almost into Lithuanian airspace, it seems that the crew got a message from ground control in Minsk, the capital of Belarus, saying that a bomb threat had been received. At that point, we're still not entirely clear how the dialogue went on between a uh, ground crew and the Ryanair crew on board. But a decision was taken to fly back to Minsk airport and land the plane to deal with this supposed bomb threat. At one moment, we just uh, change uh, the direction of flight and we go down and then to the left. Now, as the plane came in to land in Minsk, for Roman Protasevich, who was on board, this was obviously a nightmare scenario. He was wanted by the Belarusian authorities. And we've heard from passengers on board that he clearly started to panic.
2: How scared he was? Super scared. I saw, I looked at him directly into his eyes and it was very sad. We didn't
1: have People say he was shaking on board. He was clearly terrified of what might happen to him when he landed in Minsk.
0: So the Roman stand up.
1: He gave, according to reports, his telephone, his laptop to his girlfriend, but presumably thinking that she wouldn't be searched and these things could be protected.
0: Split the things, like computer, give it to a girlfriend.
1: But she was taken away along with him by the security services on the ground at Minsk airport. The rest of the passengers were held, the plane was on the ground for approximately seven hours um, before continuing without Protasevich, without his girlfriend, Sofia Sapiga, and several other people who left the plane at that point. And the plane continued from Minsk and landed without further drama in Vilnius around an hour or so later.
0: And although the plane landed safely and most of the passengers finally went on their way, this incident has sparked international outrage and condemnation. Fears are now growing for the safety of Protasevich and his girlfriend Sofia Sapega. Will the EU's calls for their immediate release make any difference? And is the EU up to the task of taking control of this geopolitical crisis currently evolving on its eastern borders? So, if we could take a step back for a second and focus on this one person who was on the plane, Roman Protasevich. His face has been everywhere in the last few days. Can you tell us who he is and why the Belarusian president Lukashenko called for him
1: to be captured? So, Roman Protasevich, 26 years old, has been quite a prominent figure in the journalistic world in Belarus for some time and also in opposition circles. <laughs> Two years ago, he decided to leave Belarus due to his involvement with a telegram channel. The social media telegram is very popular in Belarus because it's very hard for the authorities to block it. So it's used by independent uh, news outlets, it's used by opposition groups. And he was working for a telegram channel called Nechta, which covered opposition events. It was very critical of the Lukashenko regime. It's come under increasing pressure in recent years, uh, and that pressure prompted Protasevich, along with other people connected with that outlet and other opposition media outlets, to leave the country.
2: Thousands of people Thursday
0: evening in Minsk, challenging the authoritarian rule of Alexander Lukashenko.
1: There was a presidential election in Belarus last August, which was disputed. Lukashenko claims to have won it. Opposition groups say it was, it was rigged. The West backs that claim, says that it was blatantly falsified and stolen from the opposition. When the protests broke out after that, huge protests of unprecedented size in Belarus, Nekta was not only one of the key outlets covering those protest events, but it actually took on a kind of coordination role as well. So, because a lot of the Nekta people, including Protasevich, were based outside the country, because it was on Telegram, which is very hard to block for the authorities in Belarus, uh, it became a kind of hub for sharing information planning protests, coordinating protests. So this made Nechta a very high-profile target for Lukashenko. And because Protasevich was a key figure at Nechta, uh, he obviously was placed very high on the official wanted list in Belarus. So as he was coming into land, again, according to reports from other passengers on the plane, as it was taken into Minsk, he was saying that he could potentially face the death penalty in Minsk. That's basically the backstory of Protasevich and why he was so scared by this sudden development when he thought he was heading for Lithuania, but instead he found himself landing in Minsk where he knew he would be in enormous trouble.
0: So you were mentioning there that it's clear that Protasevich appeared nervous and scared on the plane. But do we know if he was worried before he boarded that flight? I mean, I've read that he texted a friend that he was being followed in Athens. Was he taking that seriously?
1: Protasevich will have taken his own Security extremely seriously. You know, he was a a young activist dealing with probably the most repressive regime in Europe at the moment. We've seen Lukashenko threaten one way or another to deal with his opponents wherever they are. He's told them that they're not safe, even if they're outside the country, he will find a way to deal with them. And for Protasevich himself, having just a week earlier met with Belarusian opposition leader Svetlana Tikhanovskaya in Athens, he would probably have been aware that his movements, at least digitally, were being monitored. The Belarusian authorities would probably know roughly where he was, where he was flying. So when he boarded the plane, I mean, probably he thought that on an international airliner flying between countries where he had no legal problems, between Greece and Lithuania, he probably felt safe and had no idea that at least one, maybe several agents could have been on board that plane and that some plan was afoot to get hold of him in this extraordinary way, basically by hijacking the plane in midair.
0: And it's important to mention also that you've referenced a few times that um, Protasevich's girlfriend, Sofia, has also been taken, a 23-year-old student. So she has disappeared with him as well in Belarus. And a video appeared on Twitter on Monday night in which uh, Protasevich appears to be, um, appears to confess to plotting riots. Now, he says in the video that he's being treated with respect and according to the law, but he also appears very tired, stressed and bruised. Um, What do we know about this video?
1: It's not really a surprise that something like that came out. We've seen the Belarusian security services do this a lot with opposition figures that they've, that they've captured um, or that they've managed to to place in a sort of compromising position and, and essentially forcing them to back down, renounce their opposition activity, even in some cases admitting the charges against them on camera. Protasevich appeared last night on the video saying that he was being treated fairly, that he was cooperating in giving... Evidence about his role in organizing the protests that we spoke about last August. It's very hard to give anything that he says credence. He is clearly doing this under duress. He's been arrested by the security service, the KGB, as it's still called in Belarus, which is infamous for the level of brutality that it's used against protesters and opposition figures recently. It was clear that he was agitated. He appeared to be reading from a script. There were marks on his face that were even visible. So, Shortly after this emerged, this video last night, other opposition figures, people who he knows, even his father, came out and said, please disregard this. You know, he's not speaking freely. Um, He's speaking under duress. He's in extreme danger. He could be tortured. They're saying he will definitely be be treated very, very harshly. So if anything, rather than allaying fears about the way he's being treated, the conditions that he's being held in. Um, th- this video appearing last night only intensified those fears and concerns for Roman for, for and for potentially for Sofia, his girlfriend as well.
0: Of course, the Belarusian authorities have, have denied that there was anything untoward about all of this or that they had any intention of capturing Protasevich by forcing the plane to land. What has Belarus been saying about why all this happened?
1: Well, on the day of the the incident on Sunday, the Be- Belarusian authorities did claim that there had been a bomb threat against the plane. And that was the reason why they had to bring it in, for safety reasons, to check that there was nothing on board. Of course, there were no explosives on board. The Belarusian prosecutors even went to the lengths of saying they were opening a criminal case to investigate this hoax bomb threat. But of course, the suspicion is that this was all an operation... Uh, planned and enacted by the authorities. And then yesterday, another extraordinary claim from Minsk was that actually this bomb threat came from Hamas. That, you know, Hamas was saying, unless the European Union stops backing Israel in its conflict with Palestinians, we will blow up the plane over Vilnius. Now, you know, why Hamas would target a plane, a Ryanair plane flying from Athens to Vilnius? and deliver a bomb threat to, to Belarus, of all places, we just don't know. There's been no real um, convincing explanation for that. It certainly didn't have any effect on Western leaders, European Union leaders, when they met yesterday to discuss this issue. What will be interesting is to hear from Lukashenko. Lukashenko will speak, we think, later today, that's Tuesday, and at least find out what the official justification for all this is beyond the, bo- beyond the bomb threat and so on. We may also hear a bit more from Russia. Russia has been relatively guarded on this so far, but it has accused the West of, of jumping to conclusions, of acting aggressively towards Belarus in its condemnation, pretty uniform condemnation of what happened on Sunday. So we will see if by the time Lukashenko speaks and when we hear from more Russian officials, if they've managed to create a more uh, convincing story as to, uh, as to why this, this extraordinary action was necessary with the Ryanair airliner.
0: And what about Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, the Belarusian opposition leader? She's abroad now. How has she reacted to Sunday's news and what's happened in the last few days?
1: So she has condemned it. Um, She's called for his immediate release. And she's said that if more proof were needed, this is proof that Europe is dealing with and the world is dealing with a brutal dictator who will go to extraordinary lengths to stay in power. And she's called for more sanctions, more pressure. And a crucial thing really is, I think, for her and other opposition figures, that it's not just political sanctions, for example, on Lukashenko and the people around him. They probably don't plan on traveling to the West anytime soon anyway, but more targeted sanctions on the biggest business enterprises in Belarus, many of whom are seen as supportive of of Lukashenko, who are seen as his financial backers, backers for him personally and for his political circle. And the EU is considering those sorts of things.
0: You've spoken about how the people of Belarus took to the streets last year and in the months that followed, and, but that, that dwindled afterwards. But how are people in Belarus responding to what's happened to Protasevich? Are they responding? As we know, media is quite restricted in that country. Do they know what took place?
1: Well, they definitely know from telegram channels, like the one we mentioned, Někta. Opposition-minded people in Belarus have lived under such pressure for so many years, 26 years they've been dealing with Lukashenko, that they found lots of ways to circumvent the system. And those methods, those routes, those tactics, they only increased under the even more intense pressure of the last six months or so following the election last year. So they will be sharing information, they will be sharing things on social media and seeing what's going on. The problem is now, of course, translating that into political action in terms of, of political, opposition political parties There is no real alternative now in Belarus to Lukashenko because key figures, as we mentioned, have been forced behind bars and forced abroad. So the awareness is there. But again, it's a question. It's the same question as faces the international community. How do you effectively put pressure on a regime which has really thrown up the barricades and says that it will not turn, it will not change its actions no matter what the cost?
0: And on the international community, the European Union has now announced measures including fresh sanctions and a ban on Belarusian planes entering EU airspace. Uh, Do we think these moves will result in the release of Potosievich and his girlfriend? And what kind of impact will they have on Lukashenko or will he even pay attention?
1: The specific action, the specific sanctions that we saw announced last night banning the Belavia, national carrier of Belarus from landing in European cities, a call for European airlines to avoid Belarusian airspace, that looks like it's happening. When you look at the Skyscanner and other online resources, which shows you who's flying where, it looks like Belarus is now being avoided by almost all European Union airlines. But what effect that will really have on a regime that has got used to living in isolation effectively anyway is debatable. The European Union has also talked about more targeted sanctions on top Belarusian businesses and top Belarusian businessmen. That could be more effective, because as with all sanctions, the, the calculation is from the West that if a sufficient kind of portion of the elite can be persuaded that their interests are not being defended by Lukashenko and that he is bad for them, bad for business, bad for travel, bad for all the benefits that they've enjoyed as members of the elite for many years, then they may decide to split from him and there will be a split in the elite. We haven't seen that yet, but that is what the EU and the United States will be hoping for. Lukashenko has been pushed into a corner. He's used to living in that corner, really. And instead of looking west, he's increasingly looked east. And Russia has given him full backing, full support, gave him full support in his crackdown last year. The initial signs that it's also going to give him full support on this uh, issue with Ryanair. So it's likely that this will only strengthen the alliance between Russia and Belarus. And whereas over many years, Lukashenko has tried to sort of play off the West and Russia against each other to see who he could get the best deal from in all sorts of different ways. Now he has firmly put all his eggs in the Russian basket. And for Putin in Russia, that's probably a good thing. You know, he's seen other countries in the region, most notably Ukraine, forging strong ties with the West in recent years. One of the Kremlin's big fears was that uh, Belarus, particularly after the election last year, could go the same way and uh, a reformist pro-Western government could take over. That doesn't look like uh, like happening now. And instead, it looks like a very strong block of authoritarian countries, leaders led by Putin with Lukashenko at his side, is forming and is likely to only become stronger the more pressure that the West tries to put on both Belarus and Russia in the the weeks and months to come.
0: And Protasevich and his girlfriend Sofia Sapega, what do we see happening to them now?
1: Very very hard to imagine Protasevich getting out. The key opposition leaders and uh, journalists who've been arrested in this crackdown have have been jailed, have disappeared behind bars and we haven't heard anything from them since. You know, even journalists who were arrested simply for covering the protests have been given up to two years in jail. For someone like Protasevich who has been demonized by the Lukashenko regime and pro-Lukashenko media, who has been identified essentially as a sort of someone who's working with the West to oust Lukashenko and bring down his regime, it's very hard to see how he could find his way out of jail anytime soon. With his girlfriend, Sofia, we'll see. I mean, interestingly, she's a Russian citizen, so... There could be some way, you know, if Russia wanted to kind of burnish its reputation a little bit, some kind of, you know, humanitarian gesture, it might be able to secure the, the release of Sofia Sapiga from b- the Belarusian authorities. But for Protasevich, along with other key figures, opposition figures like him, um, the outlook at the moment, unfortunately, is extremely bleak.
0: And Lukashenko, what do we think he's going to do next?
1: We think he's just going to dig in and continue along the path that he's chosen. As I mentioned, he's tried to play off the Western Russia over a number of years. Now that's gone. Russia and Belarus have a so-called union state. Uh, Lukashenko has been very reluctant to integrate over the years because he knows that in that union, Russia will be by far the, the dominant partner and he will be reduced to a minor partner like a client state effectively in this union state. But to protect himself, he seems to have put all or most of his concerns aside, and he's talking very seriously about accelerating this, this union and this integration with Russia now. Russia holds all the cards. Russia now effectively is, that is the outlook. I mean, ties with the West have effectively been severed. To thumb his nose at the West, Lukashenko is just likely to, to move closer and closer and closer to Putin.
0: Thanks for talking us through everything that's happened in the last few days. Thank you. Coming up, the EU responds to the Belarus crisis. Naomi O'Leary, as the Irish Times Europe correspondent, you've been reporting on the EU summit where earlier this week, European leaders agreed on new sanctions for Belarus. But are these measures enough? And isn't the fear that any sanctions will just push Belarus further away from the rest of Europe and closer to Russia?
2: I think that the question of effectiveness is something that the EU leaders are aware of and ask themselves. In some cases, sanctions have been effective. In other cases, you know, in the case of Lukashenko, the act of downing the plane in itself was so brazen, you'd have to ask yourself, was he particularly worried about the consequences? Um, But, you know, what are the other options is the question to ask um so sanctions plus the response in terms of air travel you know those are the strategic options that were on the table so i mean apart from that you know what what would the EU do exactly
0: and we know uh, from within the eu also that there is sometimes pushback against these kind of sanctions countries like hungary come to mind where they sometimes stand up and say no have we seen anything like that uh, in the last 24 hours
2: no in this case um according to eu officials consensus was reached very very quickly uh, it's the fourth round of sanctions that's been agreed on belarus it was a combination of timing and the circumstances made this quite an easy sell for the eu leaders i mean it it happened the night before they were due to meet in brussels this caused a kind of momentum where it upended the agenda that they had had. They were supposed to be discussing, focusing on COVID and climate change and things like that. But Belarus then became the top item on the agenda, the the first item. And it also became an opportunity to, a kind of a test case about the effectiveness of EU foreign policy. Because as you say, Hungary has been wielding a, a veto. All foreign policy decisions have to be made by unanimity. So that means any one of the 27 member states has a veto. And the authoritarian leader of Hungary, Viktor Orban, has been using this veto regularly, consistently, um, basically to do favors to other authoritarian-leaning regimes. So, for example, he just in the last couple of weeks blocked a mild enough statement which would have called for a ceasefire in Gaza. So um, that didn't happen in this case. And it was because of the pressure on the EU to to show that it was effective, to show that it could come up with a unified position. And also, you know, as I say, the timing, creating that momentum that they needed to respond that very evening, um, which is what they did.
0: And so far, we've seen that EU leaders have expressed complete outrage at what happened on Sunday. So Ursula von der Leyen tweeted earlier today that the hijacking of the Ryanair plane by the Belarus regime was an attack on democracy. This is an attack on freedom of expression. And this is an attack on European sovereignty. And she also called for Roman Pratisiewicz and Sofia Sapega to be released immediately. There's some pretty strong words there. What are other European leaders saying?
2: Yeah, the strength of language was quite notable from the outset. This was a flight that was traveling from one EU city to another EU city with lots of um, EU citizens on board. Um, The report of a bomb threat, which didn't actually exist, and the escort of a fighter jet really rattled, I think, the, the European leaders. They, they have said that it put passengers' lives at risk. And you heard that reflected in language. Uh, Taoiseach Mito-Martin recalled to us earlier that there was a real shock and anger among the 27 as they met.
0: Well, just first of all, um, there was a very strong discussion last evening in relation to the Belarus situation um, and the lot of anger. Um, and many European Union leaders saw this, in fact, all. As an attack on, on the European Union itself, on European Union citizens,
2: and that kind of um, fueled this strong it's response.
0: Well, it's not just to register; it's to send a very clear message um, to the Belarusian authorities and to Lukashenko in particular the, uh, that this is unacceptably behaviour. Is this the big? test case on eu foreign policy to see whether countries can gather together and is it enough to make lukashenko and russia in turn take the eu seriously
2: you know the the tools that the eu have are limited they largely have economic uh, weight that's the the primary strength of the eu is its economic clout that's why they reach for things like sanctions um, straight away. It's not like there is an EU army. It's not like they can have a military response. Um, so it is a, it's is a—it's not a state. It's an organization of 27 member states, um, which has agreed to do certain policy choices together. And one of the rules of that is, is that foreign policy has to be agreed unanimously. There's been a lot of debate because of the Hung, particularly, Hungary's wielding of its veto um, so consistently and so with such regularity. There's been debate about whether that unanimity should be changed and whether it sh- should be changed so that only a qualified majority of EU member states would be able, would be sufficient to put out a joint statement or take action. And there has been some support for that, particularly when it comes to, for example, condemning human rights abuses. You know, the European Union. I suppose, has a reputation and also sort of sells itself as a defender of human rights. And so if it was easier for it to issue joint statements on human rights, there there are some people who support that. But then again, you know, the member states, national governments are very, very reluctant typically to compromise on power. They prefer to keep more power for themselves. That's why there is this unanimity uh, rule, because they want the ability to uh, to stop any resolution that they don't agree with. I guess the EU is designed, it's it's built by its members and it is how they design it. And those are the tools that are available to it.
0: Thanks very much, Naomi. Naomi and Daniel will continue to cover the story as it develops and you can read their reports on irishtimes.com. In the news, we'll be back with you all next Monday.